you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Right here and loaded for bear, ma'am. Well, thank you there, Vidge. Don't worry, I don't think there's any bear around here, but I'm glad you're here anyway. Welcome to your own podcast, Vidge. I do believe that's going to be a new stinger you'll hear from time to time. Welcome back to, indeed, Barry Justice, the Great Sanders Vigilante Podcast. And we're staring down the barrel of episode 30, and today we're going to look at a wonderful story from Action Comics number 52. And this uh, this issue, even beside the Vigilante story, is just packed with goodness, even on the cover. And we'll get to that a little bit later. And because this is a sort of a chronological index show, taking into account all the retroactive continuity done through All-Star Squadron, Infinity Inc., and, and others' stories, we are going to be looking also at All-Star Squadron 31 and 32, in which Vigilante makes an appearance, well, at least in one of them. Uh, it's not much of an appearance, but uh, it is from whenceforth we will get this stinger. And uh, But it's a special issue, and uh, I believe that we'll probably deal with that here right away. Right here and loaded for bear, ma'am. Yes, indeed we are. So let's go ahead and uh, we'll just discuss All-Star Squadron Volume 1. I'm not aware of a Volume 2. Number 31, March 1984 from DC Comics. Uh, Our executive editor is Dick Giordano. Our cover artist is Jerry Ordway. And our story is called Uncle Sam Wants You. Our writer is, of course, Roy Thomas, penciler Rick Holberg, Inker Mike Macklin, colorist Gene D'Angelo, letterers David Cody Weiss and John Costanza, and the editor in general here of the book is Roy Thomas. Now, just before I get on, this is the big all-star squadron where, (laughs) after 31 issues, they finally have their first meeting. As we know, we've uh, All-Star Squadron is a conglomerate of characters from the Justice Society, Seven Soldiers, the Freedom Fighters who are forming in this arc, and uh, other characters as published in the Golden Age and a few retroactively created characters. Um, and they are gathered together as a sort of uh, super-powered militia and arm of the United States government in order to defend the home front from uh, mystical and superpowered uh, problems emanating out of the Second World War. So basically anything that uh, armed forces can't handle, the All-Star Squadron is going to get it. So this is their organizational uh, meeting. Now in the chronology of real-world events, this story takes place uh, late in February 1942, sometime after the attack on Port Darwin, Australia by the Japanese uh, naval forces and also briefly after the Philippines were about to fall and General MacArthur is ordered to flee the Philippines in a uh, power torpedo boat and uh, head to Australia where he is to direct the rest of the war effort. That uh, is uh, mentioned uh, in this story by Hawkman and Hawkgirl. 
So I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to read off the synopsis for Uncle Sam Wants You because uh, I put the bulk of my effort into the actual vigilante radio dramas or Seven Soldiers of Victory, as it were. Uh, this is sort of a tangential. It does feature vigilante, uh, but not in a major way. So uh, if you want to see this covered, or rather hear it covered, you can tune in to the ongoing podcast, A World on Fire, an All-Star Squadron podcast, and that is hosted by Billy D and Herman Lowe. Uh, Billy D is on his own with that podcast uh, at this point in time. Herman has departed the show. Herman and Billy ably covered this arc on episode 23 and 24 of their show, which posted in uh, November of 2021, and it would have been episode 23 when they discussed this. As I said, this is actually part of a uh, five-part arc as part of the All-Star Squadron, which begins with the first meeting of the full roster. So, our synopsis for Uncle Sam Wants You from the DC Fandom Wiki. At midnight, masked man known as Midnight was running out from the Manhattan Transfer Company carrying his safety deposit box. He hid in an alley where he ambushed a Nazi officer and punched him before becoming on. As more Nazis spotted Midnight, he ran away and jumped on top of a train, and Midnight believes in that, um, that modern maxim, always punch Nazis. Meanwhile, Hawkman and Hawkgirl, as I mentioned, were flying in the sky when they saw a bright, fly, a bright light fly towards them, rather. When it reached them, they found it was the ray and the black condor. Together, they traveled to the Trilon and the Parisphere at the New York City 1939-40 World's Fairgrounds, where the All-Star Squadron were having the meeting of their very first full roster. Uh, the Hawks, Ray, and Condor walked into the meeting room with Commander Steele and saw other members inside. Phantom Lady commented that the team could use a, form, a few more females, which Firebrand responded by assuming that she did know Shiera well. Meanwhile, Robin, Speedy, Dynamite, and Sandy the Golden Boy, those erstwhile sidekicks, were arguing over which of them had the best mentor. Robin implied that Green Arrow was simply just Batman with a bow and arrow. Yeah, boy, no wonder Speedy's got an attitude. Uh, Paul Kirk II... Uh, better known as the Blue-Faced Manhunter, was conversing with Stripesy, Star-Spangled Kid, the Crimson Kid Avenger, the Atom, the Wildcat, the Vigilante, the Green Arrow, and Batman when he was approached by Dan Richards, whose nickname was also Manhunter. And they declared that the two manners were going to have to fight after the meeting. Hawkman and Hawkgirl flew up and searched for Liberty Bell, the chairwoman, in order to avoid a conversation with the other attendees. Below them were Starman and Phantom Lady. The two flying heroes found Liberty Bell and noticed that she had a new outfit. As the heroes began to take their seats, Johnny Quick swooped down next to Liberty Bell, who walked away from her after he upset her. Liberty Bell announced that President Franklin Roosevelt himself had uh, ordered the group formed. Next, Liberty Bell took the roll call, and then announced that the Shining Knight could not make it to the meeting as he was assigned as personal bodyguard to Winston Churchill. 
as we discussed in um, the, the, the past mini-series that we've done with the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Aquaman, the Earth 2 Aquaman, hear that shag, was out of reach. Amazing Man was on leave after helping the team fight the Ultra-Humanite. And the Black Hawk Squadron would also be absent. President Roosevelt appeared before the meeting on the newly invented television screen and informed them that the All-Star Squadron would stay in America to guard the home front, much to Black Condor and Ray's disapproval, which started an argument between uh, them and the Flash. Liberty Bell attempted to break up the argument, but the meeting is crashed by none other than Uncle Sam. Meanwhile, in another part of Queens, Midnight was fighting and attempting to escape the Nazis on top of a train. Suddenly the train cat crashed, killing everyone except for Midnight. Uncle Sam revealed that he has come from an earth in which the Nazis are even closer to victory than, than on this one. And that the heroes whom he recruited to help him fight the enemy there are all dead. As the All-Stars debate whether or not to accompany Sam, the hero known as Midnight bursts in with a metal box within which is the unmoving form of Doll Man. Sam tells the assembled heroes about Earth-X and how he recruited some Earth-2 heroes to help out over there. And of course this continues on through uh, All-Star Squadrons 32 through 35. And the sharp-eared among you and those who know of Earth-2 and Earth-X and such uh, will realize that Roy Thomas here is writing the origin of the Freedom Fighters. And the Freedom Fighters are an aggregation of characters who were originally published by Quality Comics, which at this point in time in the 1940s was a competitor to National Comics, an all-American, better known as DC. Um, of course, that also included Plastic Man and Black Hawk as well. They're, they're best known characters. And so Black Condor, Uncle Sam, Koala, um, the Ray, Doll Man, Phantom Lady, Human Bomb, and so many others, uh, including this, uh, this uh, Dan Richards Manhunter who has come out of the woodwork to take on Paul Kirk. They were characters of that quality comic stable that uh, as uh, the decline in superheroism um, sort of went on the, the wane through the late 1940s and early 1950s, quality comics uh, locked up shop but sold most of the rights to their characters uh, to DC Comics. Now DC mostly utilized Plastic Man and Black Hawk over the years, but in the 1970s they revived these other heroes uh, that I've talked about over in Justice League of America where it was revealed that they had been fighting the Nazis on the alternate Earth-X since World War II. Well, once freed, they formed the group, the Freedom Fighters, and went into their own uh, comic book, which ran from about 1976 to, I think, the DC implosion about 1978. So that's the, uh, the crux of what we were talking about with Uncle Sam and the rest. Now, just a few notes pertaining to Vigilante and the Seven Soldiers. As Liberty Bell related, uh, 
Sir Justin is uh, has remained with Sir Winston Churchill. Presumably, if you really want to carry your continuity tight, that has happened just after the fight with the erstwhile Dr. Doomy uh, in the leading comics number three, which we have just covered on this podcast. Uh, just a few notes and uh, just on some things that have happened here. I Mostly seven soldiers related. Speedy is getting in a scrap with Robin. And of course, this is the Earth 2 Speedy and Robin. But uh, let's just face it. The uh, Earth 1 Speedy and Robin pretty much have the same sort of a history. They're always had this rivalry within the Teen Titans. Only on this Earth 2 version, we also have Dan the Dynamite and uh, the Sandman's young sidekick, Sandy, along. Sandman's more interested in talking to the Seven Soldiers of Victory. So, uh, Star Spangled Kid makes the introductions to the Atom and Batman and Sandman. He said, so we figured it was high time the Seven Soldiers of Victory met the Justice Society of America, right? And the Atom is, uh, re- expresses regrets that the Shining Knight has been in London. Well, Vigilante comes in and goes, Well, we still got a full posse, though. Because the Crimson Avenger here wangled his pal Wing into coming along. And Crimson Avenger goes, Our unofficial eighth soldier. Well, good. The seven soldiers now have learned how to count. This is great. When it's time for everyone to take their seats, it's the soldiers are together in one section. Now how this works out is Liberty Bell is calling the roll, call the roll, call the roll. And the various heroes will give their versions of here, present, and whatever. When we get to uh, the soldiers section, only the vigilante is not taking his seat. Rick Holberg has drawn him standing astride with his thumbs inside his gun belt. And what is he saying, folks? Right here and loaded for bear, ma'am. I'm never going to get tired of that stinger. Uh, we move along to Green Arrow, who uh, is trying to tell Speedy to shut up. Speedy, stop whispering. Speedy goes, er, here. We go to Wing. I have the honor to be present, miss. And Roy, very thankfully, is uh, expressing Wing's dialogue without the uh, offensive pigeon Chinese. Crimson Avenger goes, her. Star-spangled kid, definitely here. Stripesy, like the kids said, definitely on the scene. And that's about it. Now, none of the seven soldiers go on any of the missions uh, in the rest of this arc, and we won't see them in All-Star Squadron until, I believe, 55, when we are going to be... Roy is once again going to be doing one of his adaptations of Leading Comics 4. And, of course, you'll hear that right here when we get to that point in time. Right here on Roller Derby. I mean, Prairie Justice. So, with that, I think I'd like to hear from uh, a little podcast promo, speaking of Billy D and Herman. And uh, we'll, from there on, we'll be back here to discuss and introduce you to Action Comics 52, followed by our drama. 
of Seam. A world on fire. An all-star squadron podcast. Join your host, Billy D. And Herman, as we take a deep dive into the seminal DC Comics series created by Roy Thomas and Rich Buckler. We'll be covering the series issue by issue, spotlighting our favorite characters. And talking about the historical tie-ins as well. So join us every month in... A World on Fire, and All-Star Squadron podcast. Coming in December 2020 to a podcatcher near you. Right here and loaded for bear, ma'am. Yeah, Vidge, but you know who isn't loaded for bear? The writer of this title, and let me explain. We're looking at Action Comics number 52, cover dated September 1942, but it's actually on the stands on July 17, 1942. A monthly comic at 10 cents for 64 pages. Our editor is Frederick Whitney Ellsworth. And wit old buddy, you produce some fantastic comics, but you do us no favors by not telling us who's writing this vigilante story. Now first let's look through the other uh, stories in the book. We're going to see Superman, the Emperor from America. He'll be followed by Vigilante in our feature title, Signal Song of Six Guns. The Three Aces will be fighting the Battle of a Thousand Years. Mr. America, old Tex Thompson himself, will be solving the case of the stolen spectacles. Congo Bill, he'll be meet the one-man army, and Zatera will fight crime on ice. What's that, Ranger Gord? You didn't say anything about the cover. Well, I'm glad you asked. We see a cover that you all of the type that you almost never see in within the anthology books, at least within the main monthly anthology books in DC Comics. Um, now there are titles like World's Finest that will show you Superman, Batman, and Robin on the covers, basically throughout the 1940s and 1950s, but long before they ever meet within the covers. Uh, the same goes for the quarterly comic cavalcade coming out from the All-American side of National, or DC, I should rather, which will show you uh, Jay Garrick, Flash, Alan Scott, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman in usually various states of activity. But again, nothing inside. Now, of course, Usually, uh, if you want to see these people in-universe, you have to go to All-Stars Comics with the Justice Society or Leading Comics with um, our heroes, the Seven Soldiers. Most of those regular anthology comics that do have their uh, 
their set slate of characters don't meet and they certainly don't meet on the covers except for you guessed it action comics 52 well if we didn't uh, celebrate the action or celebrate the anniversary of action 50 we're certainly going to do it here in 52 and i think most of you realize that's a uh, that's a number that is both heralded and cursed within dc nowadays 52 uh, i think you all know the stories now this september 52 cover gives us uh artist first is fred ray who is one of superman's uh, most prolific cover artists of the day and certainly Superman is here he's coming towards us raising a cloud of dust but wait that's not all folks he's not alone he's flanked on his left hand side by Zatara the magician and Congo Bill fighting the battle of the pencil thin mustaches and not to be outdone in that department on his right hand side up comes Tex Thompson, also known as Mr. America, a.k.a. the America Commando, with his pencil-thin mustache. And between him and Superman is, you guessed it, folks, he's here and he's loaded for bear. And that's not even all. They're coming out of a sort of a circle, uh, basically a moon-shaped sort of a thing. And, of course, there's a... Uh, there's a war bond stamp on the corner because uh, we're selling war bonds, folks, and stamps. And flying out of the uh, circle above the our heroes are three military aircraft, which, of course, represent our other feature in action, the three aces. So this cover is notable for that, for uh, giving us the our... Uh, our illustration of who we're going to see inside the book and it's also notable as the very first cover appearance that Vigilante ever gets and I think everybody just looks uh, superb except for Vigilante I think somebody forgot to color his pants because uh, he's almost floating in between himself and his boots up against the yellow moon so the pants aren't white, blue, or anything else. They're just, uh, I think somebody just uh, forgot to fill in the colors in between the inks here. But it's still a good, uh, a really good presentation nonetheless. So head over to Mike's Amazing World of Comics and have a look at that. I think you'll be impressed. Now to the side of Action Comics, if you're on the newsstands, the newspapers will tell you that Winston Churchill has told Stalin that in light of the PQ-17 disaster, that's a convoy ship that was sunk, no further convoys would be sent to northern Russia in the foreseeable future. Uh, the German sub U-7571 was depth-charged and sunk off of Cape Ortegal by British aircraft. And the first Battle of Al Alamein is happening at this point in time, and Australian forces are pushed back in an attempt to capture Materia Ridge, or as they call it, Ruin Ridge, in North Africa. Uh, died today, Gerhard Bickalk, 33, the German U-boat commander who was driving U-571. And Maury Henry Biddle, Paul, 
the American journalist and society columnist. Seeking escape, you will turn back to your action comics and you'll whip past that Superman story to the second feature, uh, starring the vigilante, and sing a song of six guns. And our penciler is Mort Meskin, and our inker is Cliff Young. And by now you know the drill on the writer. Uh, it's Mort Martin. Possibly Mort Weisinger. I'm going to go with that until somebody tells me different. Uh, Whitney Ellsworth, please up your game and start crediting these writers. Now, lest you think I'm cranky, let's just get right back to our drama. And as the title says, let's sing us a song of six guns. Oh, the Vigilante yeah. by Mort Morton and Cliff Young. Go back to the prairie, troubadour. Ho hum. Oh, oh, is America's number one crooner of Western ballads? The prairie troubadour, you say? Of course, but you're wrong. For the once famed star of the radio is slipping, and the fate of the troubadour's other self, the vigilante, trembles in the balance. Without his airwave contact with the public, will the rough riding lawman from the range go down to defeat in his war against the cunning of city gangsters? The theft of a child's violin seems unimportant in comparison, yet it is the opening note in a crashing symphony of peril that provides the theme song for our story. Sing a song of six guns. Live over the New York City airwaves, once again, the Prairie Troubadour serenades his unseen audience. I'm heading for the last roundup. Gonna saddle old paint for the last time and ride. So long, old pal, it's time your tears were dry. But around the city, reaction proves that the fickle tastes of the general public has changed. In a taxi cab, turn off that troubadour guy and tune in some Jim Jam Jive, driver. In a home front living room, I'm getting sick of that dude, Cowboy Muriel. So am I, Bill. See if you can get the broken heart hour. Hot Air by Walter Hodges. Flash. Greg Sanders is as good as ever in his role of Prairie Troubadour, but he is rapidly losing his popularity. Following the broadcast, You sent for me, Mr. Tupper? Yes, Sanders. 
The latest survey shows your ratings with the public has dropped 11 more points. My voice is as good as ever. Sorry, but when a man in this profession has outworn his popularity, well, your contract has two more weekends to run, and we see no reason to renew it. Fired. It's never a pleasant experience. But in this case, the tragedy goes beyond personal feelings for Greg Sanders. It isn't the job that worries me. There's another consideration ten times more important. Folks in trouble can reach the vigilante through me, but without the prairie troubadour, they won't be able to make the contact. For Greg Sanders is, in reality, the vigilante, hard-riding lawman from the land of the Purple Sage, whose western wits and weapons are the terror of the eastern underworld. Nothing must interfere with the vigilante's private war on crime. I'll have to find a way to keep the troubadour in the public eye. Meanwhile, down in Chinatown, the vigilante's loyal partner, Stuff, is having troubles of his own. Now, class, I know you will enjoy this classical concert by the famous trio from the School for Advanced Children. She don't know the half of it. I'm willing to study to get smart, but forcing highbrow music on me is too much. Children, here are Reginald Creed with his rare Stradivarius violin, Windham St. John with his flute, and Oliver Jasper, the pianist. All are geniuses. Now we shall play the prelude from Mozart's Don Giovanni. Give me jive, give me blues in the night, give me a lonesome pooch kiodlin' at the moon, but don't give me this genius stuff. When school is dismissed, rich kids lead a tough life. Wonder if they have any fun. But. As the genius-tinged trio settles itself in the plush cushions, strange sounds burst from the limousine's windows. Hey, that's more like it. Better than the Hickville hillbillies on the radio. Jigger's jolting and his jailbird pals. What are they up to? Gimme that strat... that strat of a... that high-priced fiddle. Hand it over. Beat it before me and my pals slap you down to our size. Break up our jam session, will you? Help! Legs fisheye! They're murdering me! Try this on your piccolo. Give us that fiddle or we'll slap you silly. Try us one at a time, you big apes, and we'll show you. At this point... Let's hear you make some music, Jiggies. Look, chums, we have assistance. Grab the fiddle, fish eye, and let's get going. Got it. Oh, what I can't figure out is why Jigger should go to all that trouble to steal a fiddle. 
But, you see, that fiddle was made by Antonio Stradivari over two hundred years ago. Gee, that's a break. Now maybe your old man will buy you a new one. But, you see, a Strad is very valuable. I should say mine was worth about fifty thousand dollars. Fifty grand, and you wear it out on that classical junk when you could be playing hot licks instead. We like hot licks ourselves, but our parents make us play Bach and Beethoven. I apologize for what I was thinking about you. And I'll go ask my pal the vigilante to get your fiddle back. Did, did you say the vigilante? Do you mean you actually know him? Do I know the vigilante? Just wait till I get that dude Troubadour to call him up and watch him coming and running at the chance to round up Jiggers. But at Greg Sanders' apartment. How about burning up some phone wires, Troubadour? I got some hot news for the vidge. Oh, it's you, Stuff. Terrible day, isn't it? Why, it's a swell day. What's the matter with you? Been overstraining your vocal cords? My public's gone back on me, Stuff. Nobody listens to my songs anymore, and I'm being put off the air. Why, they can't do that. You're a pal of the vidge, aren't you? And a pal of mine. I'll get the vidge to help you. I'm afraid not, young fella. You see, I've never told a soul, but you know how to keep your lip buttoned, and your brain works in high gear, and I think a lot of you. Skip the pattern. Go into your act. You see, I am the vigilante. You're kidding. Holy mackerel! Suffering bullfrogs! You... You're kidding! Not much resemblance between the prairie troubadour and your fighting pal, is there? Maybe I'd better tell you the holy yarn. Better make it good. Who is the vigilante? How did he come to be? Here is the stirring story in his own words. It all started out on the Wyoming Plains where I was born. Sometime after my grandfather, a famous Indian fighter, made his last stand. Four years got me at last. But I reckon I done my share in the country. Don't scalp, he is a great warrior. Leave his hair to take back to his creator. There was a real hero for you. Even his enemies respected him. And my dad carried on the fighting tradition. I can remember when I was only six or seven. Come on, Pop! Mow him down! Get back. You want to get all messed up with all the lead them varmints are slinging? Dad lived by the challenge and draw a code of the plains. But years later, when a shipment of gold came in from the gold mines, well, shoot him down, grab that gold, and beat it in the car. Well, the gang back east hears about this. A cowardly shot from an ambush made me an orphan. <laughs> Dumb yokels. Called back from the east, where I had already started in radio, 
I made a solemn vow. They didn't give your pa a chance, Greg. And they was city crooks. Sly, sneaking. I know, Cactus Joe. Underworld rats are more poisonous than rattlesnakes. And I'm gonna devote my life to smoking them out of their holes. Like the old-time vigilantes did. Back in the here and now. Now if the troubadour signs off the air for good, the vigilante's job will be twice as tough. Looks like it's up to the Chinatown kid to rescue the bitch for a change. And mister, I can deliver. Get into your working clothes and let's get going. Moments later, a snorting motorcycle streaks toward Chinatown, bearing a double load. You're sure you know where Jager's Jolton and his fellow rats hang out? Yowza! You should wait for me down below, Stuff. Are you kidding me? In the criminal's hideout. Pretty soft for us when brats start lugging gadgets worth a fortune round town. We'll get just as much from selling the fiddle as we would from robbing a bank. Suddenly... It's the vigilante! Uh-oh, that Tommy gun ain't no Stradivarius. Right, but this baby beats out nifty murder rhythms. Uh-oh, what'll I do now? Here's an old folk song I've always loved. It's called Knuckle on the Job Blues. Relax, chump. Relax. Help, Jiggers. Yeah, don't be simple, legs. I should help you when these guys are trying to take a fiddle worth 50 grand away from me. The lantern crashes to the floor, plunging the room into darkness. I can't see. Who's this? Hold that punch, it's me. Quick, guys, down the chute. Meanwhile, eager to see the vigilante in action, the symphony kids have haunted the shadowy lanes of Chinatown. I tell you, I distinctly saw the vigilante climbing a rope to the top of the building. If you're wrong, and we miss him. Holy smoke, they've got the place surrounded. My violin? If it ain't the brats, what'll we do with them, Jiggers? Bring him along. The vigilante can't turn the heat on all of us if he knows they'll be the first to get burned. By the time the pursuing pair have located the escape chute... Whee! Too late. They've given us the slip. Look, Wyndham's flute. He's one of the classical hip cats. Signs of a struggle, too. Stuff, those kids are in trouble. Come on! Trail markings left behind by the musical youngsters lead the vigilante and stuff through a maze of twisting streets. A boy's paper collar. Did it belong to one of them, Stuff? It sure did, and here's his necktie. You know, those kids aren't such numbskulls after all. Finally... The trail leads right to that old abandoned firehouse. But we'll have to take them by surprise. They'll be watching for us. The vigilante races his motorcycle onto a nearby bridge. Then... I don't get it. Hey, what's cooking? Yipe! You'll be a cooked goose if you don't hang on tight. 
a tough lariat, woven to withstand the most violent lunges of rampaging steers, finds a solid anchor below. Golly, not even a parachute. What, what, why don't we hit a wall? We won't. We'll swing in a corkscrew spiral around the tower. Keen eyes watch the street from the tower. The only entrance is down below, and I'll spot them if they come anywhere near us. They won't dare touch us as long as we got the brats. A breathtaking swoop, a jingle of shattered glass, and... You know, it ain't possible. Looking for somebody, Legs? Look out below. Nice try, Vidge, but this is as far as you go. Unless you want me to start pumping lead into these kids. You, you got me. You down, Vigilante. I'll take care of that young punk that works with you. Looks like an emergency call. Oof. That's the stuff, stuff. What if I shoot you first? You sneering coyote. You haven't got time to shoot both me and those boys. And if you shoot them, I'll break you in half. Then we'll break you in half. Steal Reggie Stradivarius, will you? Spoil our jump session, will you? I'll get you, you big cow farmer. Next time, maybe. Fiddle or no fiddle, I know when I've had plenty. Don't be scared, Legs. I only want to play a tune on your noggin. This one is on me. Ow! Very pretty. Get out from under, Reggie. It is my turn to strike a blow for justice. Yippee! Anything wrong with it, son? They didn't even get it out of tune. What's the idea, Stuff? There's no fire. It's one way of getting the police here. So, a little later, the priceless Stradivarius violin and its accomplished owner, Reginald Creed, are delivered safely home to his father. Vigilante, I don't know how to thank you for helping my son get back his violin. You say you won't take any reward? Helping others brings its own reward, Mr. Creed. Psst, uh, can I speak to you on the QT, Mr. Creed? Well, er, doesn't sound very dignified, but under the circumstances. And when the time comes for the Prairie Troubadour's next broadcast... Once again, ladies and gentlemen, we present that famous singer of songs of the Old West, the Prairie Troubadour and his special guests, the Swingin' Hepcats. In his next radio performance, Stuff pounds a drum while Wyndham St. John plays the woodwinds, Oliver Jasper pounds the piano, and Reginald Creed swings with his Stradivarius. We're headed for a syncopated, rumba-gated roundup, so swing that doggy jive, cowboy jive there, hip cats. And in homes across the city, the Bills and Muriels put down their knittings and newspapers and cut a rug. Who said that troubadour was old stuff? Swing it, Muriel!
grab yourself a rug cutting bronc and ride on down. And in the radio record, Warblin' Waddy Wowsum, Floods of Fan Mail Swamp Studio as Greg Sanders introduces Hepcat Youngsters. sign-off time, but I thought you were convinced I was a flop. Just my little joke, Greg. Uh, this new five-year contract, uh, double the old salary, is proof enough of our station's confidence in your talent. Don't forget to tune in, fellas. Same time, same place, but a brand new set of rootin' tootin' adventures for the vigilante and yours truly stuff. Well, that drama went out with a bang, didn't it? Yeah, we actually see Greg Saunders back in the studio doing what he does as a musician. Now, it's funny because music isn't something that you really... Uh, doesn't play well, <laughs> to make a pun, in comics. After all, um, who can hear it? You know, I think about uh, one of the first times I ever saw somebody make try to make a... Uh, a secret identity out of a musician was that Captain Marvel, uh, Roy Thomas Gil Kane series back in the early 70s. And uh, if you'll recall, Cap Marvel was in the negative zone and Rick Jones was sort of acting as his uh, 
alter ego on earth and he was playing at being a folk singer and Roy Thomas went to a great lot of lengths to write lyrics for Rick Jones and his his singing in in coffee lounges but it just really didn't make any sense if you didn't know the tune or what what it was so uh, it making Greg Saunders a musician in his secret identity is kind of a uh, a bit of a gamble but we're back to it at least in this story and I'll I'll have more to say that in the notes but when uh, I saw what uh, was going on in the very last page where Greg was teaming up with the Hepcats in, a, in an attempt to save his career and also do a, a favor for the young musicians who like to do jazz and jive as much as they love to do classical music, I was really reminded of one of the first great fusion artists in not only country music but I think any music ever, anywhere. And that was a uh, happy gentleman named Bob Wills. And when you listen to uh, Greg doing the San Antonio, uh, that's the cover I threw in there, and that's Bob doing the ha-ha's in there. Now, who is this man? Well, he was the king of American Western swing. He was a songwriter and a band leader, uh, considered by many authorities to be the founder of that genre of Western swing. And although it was a, the, tight, the term itself came from Spade Cooley, Bob would record with his Playboys from 1942 to 1969 and would have a bit of a revival in 1975, and I'll get to that. Uh, Bob formed several bands, played radio stations across the South and Southwest, and formed the Texas Playboys in 1934 with himself on fiddle and doing the ahs. Uh, Tommy Duncan on piano, and also had uh, just a great range of of characters inside all of his bands, playing guitar, bass, drums. And in those days, country music, you didn't hear drums on country music. It was kind of almost a taboo. Uh, he brought jazzy influence and arrangements into it. They played regularly on Tulsa, Oklahoma stations, and all across the south into the dance halls, with hits like the Steel Guitar Rag, San Antonio Rose, which we just heard, the new San Antonio Rose, Smoke on the Water, no, not that Smoke on the Water, uh, the Stars and Stripes on Iwo Jima, and the new Spanish Two-Step. Uh, he was mo- best known for a, a slow ballad called Faded Love, which became a hit for Patsy Cline uh, sometime in the late 1950s. Although he struggled with bad health and finances, he continued to perform through the 50s, had a heart attack in 1962, and his second one that forced him to disband the Playboys. Uh, The Country Music Hall of Fame inducted him in 1968, and the Texas State Legislature honored him for his contribution to American music. Um, He was recording an album a tribute album um, done by Merle Haggard in 1973 when Bob was hit by a stroke and that left him comatose until his death in 1975. Since that point in time, the Texas Playboys have reunited from time to time, the surviving ones, although I believe most of them are all gone by now. And the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inducted Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys in 1999. 
And today, if you ever want to hear Western Swing, uh, the torch has been passed by the great Texas band Asleep at the Wheel. And uh, just like Bob, uh, its leader, Ray Benson, is a great uh, advocate of fusion within music. Now, what Western Swing does, it just takes a lot of uh, different musical genres, mostly under the country banner, and just throws them in a cup and mixes it up like a, like a, like a Jack Daniels in the water. It's an outgrowth, actually, of jazz. You can hear a lot of jazz inside of it. And there's rural cowboy-type songs. You can hear polkas, as you know, a lot of immigrants that uh, helped to settle the plains from Eastern Europe brought that with them. Old-timey music, Dixieland jazz, and, of course, the blues blended with swing that came from the African-American influence. And, like I said, Bob Wills never worried about uh, what what instruments needed to go in there if he needed an, uh, saxophones and horns he'd put them in there if he and he was a great advocate and progenitor of the steel guitar which of course became uh, both uh, loved and hated in country music and Merle Travis uh, country singer sums it up best Western Swing is nothing more than a group of talented country boys unschooled in music but playing the music they fuel, feel, beating a solid 2-4 rhythm to the harmonies that buzz around their brains. When it escapes in its glory, my friend, you have Western Swing. And this is exactly what I feel Greg Saunders was doing when he decided to up his game from doing the, uh, just the lo lo Lonesome Trail songs that obviously people we're starting to pale uh, against in the story and bringing in the Hepcats and all of their influences in country in or sorry in classical music and their own uh, uh, interest in jive and sort of that just made uh, believe a great fusion that I think Bob Wills would be proud of as I said writing musical lyrics within comics usually doesn't work too well let's face it Comics writers and artists are comics writers and artists. They're not musicians. Um, so some of the, the words that I saw there didn't really make much sense as a song. So that's why I decided to throw in San Antonio Rose. And I threw in the entire uh, song rather than just an excerpt. Um, with Greg Saunders probably playing Bob Wills over top of the song itself. And, uh, as you can see, some of the musical critics that were writing Greg off in the beginning of the story are uh, suddenly cutting a rug to uh, this new western swing tinged. So I hope it worked for you. Um, I think, uh, when I think of, you know, cowboy music from the 1940s, I think Bob Wills myself. And I'm a great fan of Asleep at the Wheel as well. And I hope you check out some of those uh, some of those acts. Um, it, it, it's not your father's country music. It's uh, it's much better than just about anything you're hearing on the radio today. So uh, I'd like to leave you with another Bob Will song that is also covered by Asleep at the Wheel, and I believe I'll do their live version as done on Austin City Limits a number of years ago. 
Um, and if some of the text, the original Texas Playboys are playing on this uh, this version, and the lead vocals are done by the incomparable uh, king of country music, George Strait. So, let's go back to Tulsa. Uh, we're gonna do a little swing for you now. On. Some folks call her Dinah Stole my heart away from me Way down in Louisiana Take me back to Tulsa I'm too young to marry Take me back to Tulsa I'm too young to marry oh, Big smile, never do look sour Travel all over the country Played by the hour Take me back to Tulsa I'm too young to marry Take me back to Tulsa I'm too young to marry That's old Ronnie boy my notes and thoughts on this story uh, from Action 52 sing a song of six guns we've got a lot going on in in this story and that's why I think Mort Weisinger's still on board uh, we got musical snobbery we've got uh, not too good of villains I don't think but uh, they get as good as they give we've got Greg Saunders facing a possible life crisis here as his career starts to wane 
And we get this, the origin of Vigilante once again as Stuff learns something that he should have realized a long time ago. We begin our story with Greg singing Headed for the Last Roundup, great old Gene Autry song that actually does exist. Uh, but uh, he's headed for his last roundup in ratings as well as... Uh, Radio tuner dials across the city are, are headed to go find something else. And eventually, uh, Greg is called into the office and uh, thrown out of his show. Now, what I, this is something that I guess I haven't realized in a year of reading these comics, is that Greg doesn't just do this show just because of it's his career. It's because he wants people to connect him to the vigilante imagine that you know most uh superheroes are trying very hard to keep their identity secret but he wants people to know that they can be call him and contact him if they need help from the vigilante so that's kind of an interesting take on it um I think it might might be some bit of retroaction. I haven't certainly haven't noticed that. I know Stuff always knows that he can go see Greg if he needs the vigilante, but I think Stuff's being a little special in that case. Well, Stuff himself has got his own problems. He's in school, but he doesn't seem to care for a musical performance that has come to his classroom. And we get to meet Reggie Creed, Wyndham St. John, and Oliver Jasper. And they're basically musical geniuses who are brought in to uh, bring a little culture to Stuff's classroom. And we get a little glimpse of Stuff's own musical snobbery. He can't stand it. He goes outside and sees the boys getting into their family limousine. And as they await the driver, the kids are not playing their classicals they're playing coming around the mountain an old folk song which shock stuff oh wait a minute i think we need to stop and tell you what stuff is wearing well, i think we've seen this before he's wearing his uh, red varsity sweater with the red stripes and a big white s across the front of his sweater gee stuff you know a big S right across your chest on a sweater, it's never going to fly. And he's, he's also wearing trade pack, trademark white shorts. So it must be a summer day and sneakers. I'm not sure how many people we ever see wearing sneakers in, these, in comic books in these days. Well, Reggie apparently owns a very expensive Stradivarius, uh, which uh, Jiggers Jolton... A jailbird who stuff seems to be up on his gangsters and knows one from the other. Uh, salts the chauffeur and uh, tries to take the Stradivarius. And succeeds, which shocks stuff when he finds out that this uh, violin is worth $50,000. Now Stradivarius is one of the violins or violas, cellos, and other string instruments built by members of the Italian family Stradivari, and particularly their patriarch Antonio Stradivari, which was a tradition he started in the 17th century. 
According to reputation, the quality of a Stradivarius has defied attempts to explain or equal it, although many acoustical blind experiments performed don't really see that much style or much difference in between that and makers of other violins. However, that doesn't mean that uh, it hasn't gone down sort of as the hand name to have in those types of, uh, of instruments. And the, the, the fame of the Stradivarius has widespread and it's appeared in numerous works of fiction. And I'm sure most of you have probably seen a detective show or police show or something where a similar theft has been made and using the Stradivarius name. Now Stuff befriends the boys who he really didn't care for earlier when he was they were in his class, but he does promise that he's going to get the vigilante to help track it down. So he heads over to the uh, to Greg's apartment and finds out that uh, Greg has been fired, which causes Stuff to, geez, geez, well why don't we just go get vigilante? He'll help you out. And that's when I believe Greg Saunders has just about had it and said, um, Stuff, I'm the vigilante. And uh, <laughs> holy mackerel, suffering bullfrogs, you, you, you're kidding. Yes, Stuff, yes, Stuff, you've been looking at this guy for months on end now. And it's time you realize that a kerchief is not a disguise. So that brings Greg to tell stuff the story and we learn all about the origin. It's basically the same origin that we heard in uh, Vigilante's first appearance way back in Action 41. Although I think the telling comes out a lot better and I believe uh, Greg's grandpa, uh, you know, even though some of the language here hasn't improved that much, I believe I have a better understanding of who he was. He was very likely a cavalry scout, probably somewhere along the Bozeman Trail of northern Wyoming. And we also meet uh, Greg's dad, Tom Saunders, who isn't named here, but we know of it through uh, later stories, and find out that uh, Greg used to watch him track down criminals through the 1920s, through the Prohibition era. And it's that prohibition era that brings some gangsters into what we know now know as Avalanche Falls, Wyoming, and to assassinate Sheriff Tom Saunders in exchange for a gold shipment. And that, of course, brings Greg back from his cowboy crooning career to adopt the persona of the vigilante and carry on his grandfather and father's work. Well, Greg is now very much getting used to this gas-eating bronc. We're pretty much seeing it in every story, even in the Seven Soldiers now. Uh, Jigger's Jolton, well, he isn't much of a crook. Uh, I don't think much of him uh, as imaginative. He's just basically another guy in a suit and a hat and a uh, toothpick hanging out of his mouth. And... Uh, Easy for Vidge to get the drop on him and even rope one of the Tommy guns away. Oh, now that we have Greg into his vigilante suit, it's time to see what color the hat is this um, this month. And Greg Saunders' hat is tan. So he's very likely got a rabbit felt hat on. Now Greg and Stuff are going to have some help here. Uh, it takes only takes a lantern 
one of those old coal oil lanterns to break for the uh, the bad guys to get away from Vidge and stuff through some old kind of a, a laundry or a coal chute. And who happens to be waiting at the bottom of the chute but our Hepcat boys. Reggie, Jasper, and Wyndham. And these guys know how to use their fists. <laughs> Not something you expect out of uh, young prodig prodigy musicians. But that doesn't stop them from being kidnapped. Which puts Vidge and stuff in a very bad situation. They've got to track them down. And I love how Vidge really gets alerted by realizing that these these boys are in trouble. It's not a game anymore. So jumping on the gas heat and bronc, they head for a nearby bridge. And this is probably a, another first for Vigilante here. Vidge loves to use his motorcycle as a weapon. And he flies off the side of the bridge with it. At the same time, throwing a lariat around a corner of a roof and saving the life of both him and stuff. And swinging themselves back into the firehouse, which Vidge had no, has realized that they are holed up in, Jolton and his boys. Now we get a bit of a hostage situation as the gangsters are on the top floor of this fire hall gathered right around one of those Ghostbusters type fire poles and uh, Vidge has to acquiesce, put his hands up only none of these gangsters seem to be smart enough to take away Vidge's guns first oh and by the way Dave McIlvaney they also don't take away his spurs now along comes stuff, manages to get the drop on, uh, on somebody who likely is going up to disarm Vigilante. But in this situation, as the boys are threatened, we really see Vig's resolve. You sneering coyote, you haven't got time to shoot both me and those boys, and if you shoot them, I'll break you in half. Clint Eastwood Vigilante is coming right out of the, out of the woodwork here. Now despite... Uh, Guns being in existence, the uh, the Hepcat boys managed to get the drop on Jiggers Jolton. They th the gangsters are thrown down the fire chute, down the fire pole hole. And then they the, the boys jump down the pole themselves and jump on them. And just pile on once again. Now there are no death traps. There are no... Uh, Nothing for Greg to have to use his spurs to get out of. And the Stradivarius is recovered. All safe and sound and in tune. Now Reggie's cigar-smoking dad offers Vigilante a reward for recovery of the violin and the boys. Which Vig, of course, refuses. But stuff cuts a side deal, whispering in his ear. And what do you know? Mr. Creed has pull at the radio station and Vidge is back and he's got a combo with him yes it's the Hepcats and they're all in costume in in hats and spurs chaps and such and they're giving Vig, Vigilante or Greg Saunders rather a lesson in fusion music and the critics and the uh, 
The Bills and Muriels in their apartments are really happy to see this. And, of course, along comes Mr. Uh, radio Executive, who hires Greg back. So all in all, I think this was a fun story. Uh, could have been a better villain, I believe. Um, but if they had, who knows, we might have dead hepcats all over the place. Well, that's about it. So I think that's going to do it for Prairie Justice, the Great Signers Vigilante Podcast. Thank you all for your patience. And um, I hope you enjoyed this show. I'm trying to make my notes and comments at the very end a little bit shorter. I believe the stories are pretty much self-explanatory, but sometimes they do need a, a little context, and that's what I'm trying to keep it on to rather than being some kind of a replay the narration. Well, thanks, folks, and we will see you once again down the line for Episode 31. Will you be back, Vigilante? Right here and loaded for bear, ma'am. In the corner of a dark bar room Said a little cowboy singing western tunes Singing songs that he learned as a child all about the west back when it was wild. Well, so long, partners. You've been listening to Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. All materials used in Prairie Justice are believed to be of fair use and remain the copyright of all copyright holders. Stories, images, and the character of Greg Saunders, the Vigilante, and all other characters used are the property of DC Comics and DC Entertainment. Feedback for Prairie Justice can be left on Facebook under the name Prairie Justice, the Greg Sounders Vigilante Podcast. Email you can go to vigilantecast at gmail.com. Website is www.rangergordsroundup, all one word, at .wordpress.com. And we sure hope to see you all back again for another ride with the Cowboy Crusader. Vaya con Dios, compadres, eh? Because he's the last of the same.